for tuning in to the New Vision Podcast. Our prayer is that this talk builds your faith, brings clarity, and gives you hope. Enjoy the message. Um, We are in a series called What Matters Most. And uh, during this month, we're taking a look at God's mission and its people. And our mission as his church is about people. And each week we've invited uh, missionaries to come in and share with us what God is doing in the work that they are either getting ready to do or the work that they've already begun. And so I want to introduce to you today our missionary. His name is Zachariah Cunningham. Will you put your hands together for Zachariah as he comes this morning? Come on, keep it going. He hasn't made it all the way up here yet. Come on, keep it going. Let's go. All right. I love the energy in this place. You know, I was an athlete all my life, and I like to go hard. You know, when anything goes, you know, exciting with you're rooting for the Chiefs, you're rooting for the Royals or Kansas Jayhawk basketball. But, you know, but most importantly, I like to go hard even more is in the calling that God has placed on my life. God has called you all to a part of his kingdom to work and spread the gospel in your communities. Well, the blessing that you have, New Vision, is to equip missionaries like me and many others to go across the world and serve in many areas that you probably have never heard of. And one of the places you've probably not heard of, or many of you may be unfamiliar with, is Vanuatu. You could put the first one up. Tana Vanuatu. So, the, uh, this is an island country out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, close to Australia, uh, just of the west of Fiji. This is uh, a, you can see Hawaii on the very top there, and you can kind of imagine U.S. being further up. But uh, this uh, area is Melanesia. And part of these uh, people groups are very uh, indigenous, very uh, closed off groups. And uh, I was privileged to meet a missionary back in uh, 2017 named Brian Webb. Most of you might have met him before. He serves, uh, him and his family have served for over 21 years in the islands of Vanuatu. And I met him at a Chi Alpha Missions, World Missions Summit back in Houston in 2017. And in 2018 through, or 2017 through 2018, I was blessed to serve with him as a MAPS uh, missionary uh, for nine months. And while I was there, I was introduced to doing youth ministry or driving locals out into the bush. Uh, we would do crusade work. Um, sometimes we would do uh, the water well drilling which I am going to be a part of this coming uh, next two-year term with Bron- uh, Sam and Lisa Paris. Um, and then, so we do a lot of the youth ministry. Uh, the population of Vanuatu is around 300,000 people, with over 70% of that population being under the age of 30 years of age. There is a high, high population of young people. Growing up, I thought I was called to youth ministry here in the States, but I would not imagine that God had a plan to put me in a place where they were in desperate need of youth and desperate need of someone to go out and share the gospel with them. And I can tell you that there is a hunger, there is a passion, there is just a deepened yearning for someone to come and share the gospel with them for the first time in many of these areas. 
this next two years term, I'll be serving as a missionary associate, which is a step before you get to career as a missionary with the Assemblies of God. Uh, this term, I'll be serving with Sam and Lisa Paris, who are living on the island, island of Tana. And Tana is a small island with about 40,000 people living on that island. And the same ratio is very much similar with 70% of that island being children or youth. So what better blessing to continue in that call of God to go and share the gospel with other nations and other people is to help the Sam and Lisa with reaching Tana by helping them reach the youth and also equipping them with drilling uh, water wells and uh, other uh, other outreaches. So what are the four main... So uh, I went to visit Sam and Lisa. Sam and Lisa are gr a great, great family. They've been there for about uh, two terms. They're on their uh, second full term now. And uh, they were just incredible. I got to visit them for two weeks. Uh, I remember being exhausted uh, back in uh, the... before the trip, think, thinking, God, why did you send me here? There's so many other nations. There's so many other places. Why did you send me here? And I, I, I remember the Lord sharing and saying, I send you here because I have not forgotten them. These are people, these are people groups that many of us here in the States, we're not familiar with. But God has not forgotten them. God has not forgotten you. He doesn't forget his people. He doesn't forget those who haven't had that chance to hear the truth, to hear the gospel, the good news, and to give eternal life uh, through Jesus Christ. Next slide. So the four primary ministries within the next couple years that I will be a part of is, one, building the Tana Mission Center. The Tana Mission Center will help us as missionaries engage the uh, local islands and the people groups of that nation that nation for many years to come. Having a good, comfortable, uh, and equipped working area that we as missionaries and missionary teams and churches, whoever comes, we can best utilize the uh, longevity of our ministry and where God has planned for us. Uh, number two, development churches, uh, schools, clinics, and villages where people groups have already given invitation to us. Uh, we have several churches, several clinics, several schools in line for to build in the next two years, in the next four years. Um, and then uh, the next thing, third, work with local youth leaders and to better reach and engage youth, the population of Tana. Uh, so we're going to do a lot of youth ministry-centric outreach because that's the highest uh, percentage of the population. And we believe that we can really spark a revival through that group and maybe just completely change the culture of that uh, country by engaging the youth. What would you like to see? Like a youth group or a youth, an uh, island full of youth grow up in the next five years to become a sold out for Jesus uh, army to go and reach the rest of the islands of Vanuatu for Jesus. That would be cool. All right. And the last thing, make relationships with new people in villages to the, that have never heard uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are engaged in never reach people groups. We want to reach those who have never heard. And uh, I have given up, giving up the comfort of my life, whatever uh, I'd aspired to do here in the States, because I believe that God has a higher purpose. And I believe that everyone here and everyone who has died 
who had uh, uh, benefit from the death of, of Christ on the cross, we have that, uh, and I believe that the people who have never heard have that benefit as, to, as well, and we need to let them know that. Um, so that's who I am. I'm a missionary associate, and uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Zach. I had to take that back in there. Zach has set up a table outside in the lobby, so if you want to talk to him a little bit more about what he's done, maybe even what he's planning on doing, um, if you want to support him, if today God has just laid something on your heart when he talked about those youth and the kids that are there that don't know Jesus, maybe he, God said, oh, hey, you need to give towards that today. You can do that at Zach's table out in the lobby right after service, but it's great to see that um, he said something that was incredible, that God has not forgotten that there are people that haven't heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he is patient, and he's waiting, hoping that everyone comes to repentance. He did that for you and me. And it's good to know sometimes we get in this spot where we just see ministry here and the kingdom here. And so I'm so excited to, to see what happens with Zach as he goes back to uh, Vanuatu and Tana and works with more missionaries to see just what God can do with people that continue to give him their yes. That say, you know what, I'll go. You can send me. I don't have a much to offer, but everything I have is yours. That's how the kingdom moves. That's how God's mission reaches people with courage. And that's the mission. What matters most is people. God sent his son, Jesus, for people. Jesus sends us to reach people. Last week, we talked about reaching with courage. And the next step in that is to see people reached and then watch them be restored with love. This morning, my message is titled, It's Not What You Think. It's not what you think. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for uh, the opportunities that we get to spend together in your word. And God, I pray that you would speak to each and every one of our hearts this morning, that uh, you would open our hearts and our eyes to see what you want us to see in your word, to hear your voice loud and clear in our lives. God, I pray that your word would challenge us and it would change us, that we can't stay who we are because you have called us to be yours. And so, God, I pray that over these next few moments that you would anoint me to communicate your word, help me to do it clearly and effectively in Jesus' name. Amen. Dee, if you could turn me down just a little bit, there's a small amount of ringing here on the platform. Uh, when, when I was 18... I decided it was time for me to move out. Um, I wish I could say there was a lot of fanfare in this move, that I packed up my stuff. I called a moving van. Like, it was awesome. People hugged me. We high-fived. There was a party, but there was none of that. Um, it was a really rough time. There were lots of things going on in my family, and I took that opportunity to leave. And when I left, it wasn't a good thing. The night I left, my dad came to my friend's house where I was staying, and he pulled up to the house, and he asked me to get in the car. And with one foot in the car and one hand on the door like this, I said, why would I get in the car with you? And he said, I just want to talk. So I got in the car with my dad, and we drove around, and over the next few minutes, he tried his very best to get me to come home to talk me out of moving out for leaving the way that I did, but nothing that he said mattered. I was determined to leave. What I didn't know when I got out of the car and walked back into my friend's house that my father wouldn't speak to me for the next few months. 
that in that moment when I walked out of the car, it changed the dynamic of our relationship. And I didn't realize how important it was until a couple of months while we were in on this, I, I was walking in at church and I saw my mom and dad on the other side of the church and I began to walk towards them. And as I was walking down the aisle, my dad looked up, we made eye contact and he turned around and walked the other direction. And it crushed me. That week, my mom had invited me over for dinner and I needed food because I was living on my own. As I showed up, knocked on the door, my dad opens the door and I lost it. I began to cry. I began to tell him that I needed him. That I needed a dad. I wanted to, to feel like I was his son once again. I didn't know how to fix anything. I just wanted it to go back to the way that it was, to tell me what to do, and that's what I'll do. I just want it to be fixed. And fixing things with him, another way to think about that, I was just simply asking him, what do I need to do for you to love me again? I didn't feel like he loved me. I didn't feel like I was his son any longer. And so I was asking him, what can I do to fix this? What can I do so that you will love me like I felt like I was loved before? And I would imagine that in this room, I'm not the only one that stood in front of someone else and asked, what can I do so that you will love me, so that you will forgive me, so that you'll take me back? And if we close our eyes and begin to think about those moments, for some of us, smiles would come across our face because our marriage was saved, our family was saved, and for others, that smile wouldn't be there, there would be a feeling of shame. Because as we asked someone, what could we do so that they would love us, they took advantage of us in that moment. And it led us to becoming someone that we didn't want to be and doing things that we never thought that we would do. And what we thought would make us feel better, we thought their love would make us feel whole, we found out it did the exact opposite. And it damaged us and it wounded us and it leaves us hurt. And then as we begin to, to try to negotiate and navigate a relationship with Jesus, we begin to put these same relationship concepts into our relationship with God. If people have taught us that there are things that we can do to earn, our love, earn their love, to earn and deserve how they make us feel, then wouldn't it make sense that that's kind of what God does? If I want him to love me, there have got to be things that I can do that make him love me. I mean, really... That's what some of us are asking him. God, I just want you to love me. What can I do so that you will accept me? What is it that you need from me that you will love me more? How can I feel like I deserve to be loved by you? But what if it's not what you think? What if we've got it all wrong? What if we've made a loving God and him loving us about the wrong things? What if we've made it way more complicated than it actually is? Turn with me to Luke chapter 15. And we started there last week, and we're going to pick up where we left off. But in this chapter, we see Jesus and religious people in an argument. The religious people are upset that Jesus is spending so much time with notorious sinners. And in response to their objection, he tells them three stories to help them and us understand more about God's love. 
to understand how it works. And this morning, I want to look at just two simple ways that God's love works. And maybe we'll just discover that it's not what we think. Luke chapter 15, let's start reading at verse 11. It says this, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. I just want to stop here for for one moment because sometimes I'll jump right into the story and I'll miss to illustrate the point further. I want to tell you something as we get ready to begin this story that Jesus is always willing to go further for you. He's always willing to take one more step towards you, to do one more thing, to call your name one more time, to show up for you once again, to call your name one more time. You are worth him going the extra mile over and over again. Even with this story, he had already told two stories. Why would he need to tell a third? But you know what? People's hearts matter and people matter. And so Jesus was willing to tell them one more story. If that gets them to understand how God's love works, how much they're important and how valuable they are, then guess what? He will tell one more story. So to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now, I want you to understand what's going on in this story. Because we're listening to it and we're reading it in our culture with our mindset through our own lenses. When Jesus began to tell this story, at this part of the story, people would have been offended. They would have been shocked. Their jaws would have been on the ground. Jesus would have been going around, picking them up, helping them to close their mouths. Because what he is saying right now is a story that does not happen every day. This story is scandalous from the get-go. This young man is asking for his share of his inheritance. And if we look back at the law, it says that he gets, as the younger son, a third of everything that the father has. The problem with his request at this time is normally you get the inheritance when the father dies. Every now and then there's exceptions for for that to happen, but this wasn't one of those things. He wasn't asking that his father would help him to start a life on his own. I just need a, a good start right now. Could you help me out with that? No, what he was telling his dad is right now I just wish that you were dead. Can we pretend that you're dead for right now? That in order for me to live my life the way that I want to, to live my best life, I need to act as if you no longer are alive. And the people would have been appalled at what was going on. They would have been upset. I mean, if this was happening right in the moment, this would have been the talk the next morning at the well. Everybody would have been talking about, the, hey, did you, did you hear about uh, Jimmy's family over there? Man, his kid told him, I wish you were dead. And Jimmy gave him money. Psh, if that was me. And then the, the, uh, the people would begin to help out. They would offer unsolicited advice. Well, if I was Jimmy, you know, this is what I would do. Let my kid ask me something like that. Some of you have had those conversations with people. You know how that works. But they would have been talking about this. This would have been scandalous, not just for his family, but in the entire town. There would have been people telling this father what he should do and how he should respond. There would have also been people that would have said, you know what? Whenever you come to your senses and you want to stone him for how he's treating you, I'll help you gather the stones. 
that there would have been people ready to do what was supposed to have happened when you're disrespected by your children. Jesus wasn't just telling a good bedtime story. He was telling the story to change people's hearts. So the father gives him what he asks for. In verse 13, it says, A few days later, the younger son packed his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. And here we see the very first way that God loves us. When we walk, he waits. When we walk, he waits. I can't imagine what it must have felt like for that father to take everything that his son was owed, all of the things that that father had worked his entire life to build up, to hopefully pass on to him, to build and do better things, that when he gives his son his inheritance, the son goes and sells all of it for cash. He took the donkeys, he took the livestock, he took the houses, whatever it was that the father would have given him, he traded it in a few days for money. And then he walked away. And I wonder how long the father stood there and watched as his son walked further and further away. I wonder if he watched him until the, his silhouette was no longer seen down the road. As he got smaller and smaller, the further away he went. I wonder if it was at that moment that he decided that no matter how long it would be, that he would wait and that he would watch the road, that he would hope that his son would come back, that he would love him even when other people told him that was not the right thing to do. The son walks away. It tells us that he goes to a distant land, and I believe he does this for a couple of reasons. If you're going to waste all your money on wild living, you want to go where people don't know who you are. I believe he wanted to go far enough so that people wouldn't know who he was, so that he wouldn't see anything that reminded him of who his father was or who his family was. Nothing that would remind him of who he was supposed to be. He could just do what he wants. And it says that he wastes all his money on wild living. The Greek tells us that he makes it rain. No, all right, thank you. The Greek doesn't say that he was making it rain. I just wanted to throw that in and see if you were paying attention. Yep. It does say this, that he does waste all of his money in wild living. And it paints a picture of this. Imagine if you had seed in your hand. And instead of planting, you just took the seed and you scattered it like this. That's the picture that's painted. The young man goes to this distant land and all that he has is just thrown into the wind. He wastes all of his father's money. All of the things that his father worked for and sweated for and sacrificed for were gone in an instant. His world begins to fall, begins to fall apart. He loses all of his money. It's all gone. And you know when the money's gone, the people that were riding your coattails, they're gone. And then a famine comes into the land. He's got no money, no job, and no food now. People are starving. He's starving. And he has to figure out what to do next. He has to actually do something he's probably never done for real in his life. And that's find a job. It's on him now to survive. He has to decide what happens next. And when he decides on how he's going to survive, he does the unthinkable. 
again, remember, this isn't a story that Jesus was telling so that people would be like, oh, this is so cuddly. Remember, this is a Jewish man that moved to a Gentile country, a distant land full of foreigners. It says then that he was so hungry that the famine was there that he attaches himself to a foreigner. The same wording that says how a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, that's the same words that it says about, about this young man. That he forgets his heritage, he forgets who he is. It would have been unimaginable, be crazy for him to attach himself to a Gentile, but that's exactly what he does. He clings to this man and he tells him, I'll do anything. I'm starving. I have nothing. Please, you are my only hope in this moment. Whatever you'll do, I'll do whatever it is. The man at first says, I got nothing for you. And then eventually says, well, I do have some pigs that need to get fed. Why don't you go do that? And I wonder if as the young man made his way towards the pigs, I wonder if the thought went through his mind that this is not how I pictured my life working. I'm in a Gentile country. I'm serving a Gentile. And now I'm about to walk into and take care of one of the most disgusting animals ever. I mean, if any animal is unclean, the Old Testament tells us that it is the pig. This would have been undeniably the grossest thing, the worst thing that this man possibly could have been doing at that time. He was at rock bottom. There was only, there was only a famine. There was only no money. There was only no job. There was only nothing else for him to do but this moment. You see, he left his father. He left the comforts of home all to find himself, only to lose himself in everything that he had. He looked for enjoyment and found enslavement. Sin had promised him freedom, but it delivered slavery. It promised him success and delivered failure. It promised him life, but in this moment had brought him to the brink of death. And man, that story doesn't just sound like it was written thousands of years ago. It sounds like it could have been written about me and about you. We may not have traveled thousands of miles to run away and, and live the way that we wanted to, but in our hearts we did. The Bible teaches us that everyone has walked away from God. Everyone has sinned and fallen short. In a sense, we told God to leave us alone. We can handle our lives. We'll do what we want. And we chased freedom only to find that freedom was never free. That it cost us everything. And in verse 17, it says the man, when he finally came to his senses... He said to himself at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. It says that he finally came to his senses. And it wasn't just the fact that he was broke. It wasn't just the fact that he had no food. It wasn't just the fact that he was sitting in this pig slop, in this pig pen with all of these pigs. It wasn't just the situation, but it was the memory of his father's goodness. Even to his servants. You see, when, when we're in the pit looking at our situation and struggling over our situation and thinking only about where we are right now in this moment will keep us sitting in the bottom of the pit. 
But when I begin to remember God's goodness, when I begin to think that God wants me to not live in this pit, he wants me to be out of this pit, that he planned a life for me, that he has hope for me and love for me and a place for me, then I can begin to look around and find the rope that he left in the pit so that I can begin to climb out. I too can come to my senses. You see, at the end of our rope, we will always find a knot there, and that knot is Jesus. Something that we can hold on to and get a grip on and once again, and maybe even for the first time, find hope like we've never found it before. And our lowest place can be the place where transformation begins. The place where we've experienced our, our worst heartbreaks, our worst disappointments, our worst moments in life can give birth to the best moments in our life. If we will only grab the knot at the end of that rope. And as this boy is here, he begins to think back to what home is like. I mean, take a minute and just realize where he's at. In this pig pen, in this with all of these gross pigs, he's looking at the pigs. Most of us, if we were starving, we would start looking at the pigs like they were food, right? Bacon, let's have some lunch. Like, let's do that. That's not what he's thinking. He's thinking, I can eat their food. I can eat the rotten stuff that they have that's covered in snot and dirt. And yep, make that face because that's exactly what it's like. That's where he's sitting. He comes to his senses and he says, man, I can go home. I should be able to go home. And then reality sinks in again. I can't go back like to, to how it was before. I messed up so bad when I left. I told my dad that I thought that I wished that he were dead. I took all that he gave me and I squandered it. I wasted away our family's resources. I did that. There's no way that he could go back and be a son any longer. So he comes up with another plan. I'll go back and I'll ask for forgiveness and I'll simply just become a servant. Because I know I'm no longer worthy to be a son. Sons don't act like this. Sons don't treat their families like I did. He begins to rehearse his speech over and over again. When I see him, Father, I've sinned in your sight and in heaven's sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just take me back as a servant. And when he got it down, he began his long journey back, one step at a time. And as he walks back, we're reminded once again of God's love. Because when we walk, he waits. God was waiting the whole time. The Father was waiting. He's still waiting for some of us that are still in the bottom of the pit. He is still patiently waiting, hoping that you will see the rope that he has in front of you, hoping that you will grab it and begin to climb out of the situation that you're in, hoping that you will realize that he still loves you, that he still cares, that he still has things in store for you. He's patient. He's loving. He wants all of us to come home. You know how I know that he was waiting? Because of what the next couple of verses say. Look what it says in verse 20. It 
says, so he returned home, the, the son returns home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And I hope that you can picture this moment in your mind. I see movies where people are moving at the same pace towards each other in slow motion. That's not how this works. The son was walking home. And as the father sees his son, the one who he'd been standing there looking for every day, hoping that today would be the day, hoping that he would see his face one more time, he began to see the outline of his son. And the father is so excited that he begins to move towards the son. And as he gets a glimpse of who it is, he picks up his robe and begins to sprint towards him. Jesus tells us that he runs to the sun. And in Jesus's day, rich old men did not run. That's what you had younger servants for. The father in this moment is showing the son, I'm willing to come to you. I'm willing to do what other people think is unacceptable to let you know that you are accepted by me. He runs to him. He runs to him. And he runs in order to protect him, not just to love on him, but to protect him. Because remember, the law says that we get to stone the young man when he shows back up. The father runs and embraces him and says, if you're going to stone him, you got to come through me first. So not only is he loving him he's protecting him in this moment that's why he's running to each and every one of us and when he gets there he bear hugs his son and he doesn't let him go the greek tells us that he's clutching him so hard that he's gasping for air it tells us that he begins to kiss him on his face and on his neck over and over he doesn't stop he's so excited that his son is home He's almost suffocating when he's so excited. And then as I begin to read it, then I begin to ask questions maybe that you've thought of. Didn't this son come from a pig pen? Isn't he disgusting? Didn't he smell? I bet he still, I bet his clothes had holes in them. I bet his hair was all matted. And gross. I bet as he came to his father, his head was down. But I love that the father embraces him and kisses him, and none of that matters. None of it matters. The only thing that matters is that the son who I was looking for, hoping for, came home. That's what mattered to the father. He didn't question him. He didn't give him 20 questions about where he's been, what's he done, where's all my stuff, how did you come back looking like this? Nope. What did he do? He ran and met him right where he was and hugged him and embraced him. He was excited that his son was home. And that can comfort me because it doesn't matter where I've been. It doesn't matter what I've done. The only thing that matters to God is the steps that I'm taking towards him. And when I begin to take steps towards him, he takes steps towards me. Because while I was walking away from him, he was waiting for me. And while I was walking towards him, he was waiting for me. He was only hoping that I would come home. He's been missing me my entire time that I was away from him. He's waiting for you. It doesn't matter the scars that you have right now. It doesn't matter the condition that your heart's in or your life's in. All that matters to him right now is that you're walking home. And I would imagine as all this is happening, the son is confused and he remembers, I have a speech. He tries to push his dad back and say, look, 
Dad, I, I need to tell you something. That I've sinned against you and against heaven. And as he goes into his rehearsed speech, I love that the father interrupts in mid-speech. That the father's love moved quicker than the son's words in this moment. Check out what verse 22 says. But the father says to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Bring a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost but is now found let, oh, so the party began. And we see another, man, we could clap for that. And we see another way that God loves us. Because when we return, he restores. And notice how he restores his son with love. Notice what he does, that all of the things that the son ran away to get were at home with the father all along. He gives him a robe, the finest robe that was in the house. I can imagine the servants thinking the special one. Yes, that one. The one for, like, when we think the king might show up. Yep, that one. Get that one for my son. This dude, right? That one. He goes and gets the very nicest robe in the house and puts it on his son. He then looks at him and takes the ring off of his finger and places it on his son. That ring symbolized that he, cause he could walk in the authority of the father. He was now a representative to anyone around. If he said something, they knew that he was representing the father. They knew that he was part of the family. He had been given authority once again. And as the father looks down, he realizes that his son hasn't been acting like a son. He's been living like a servant. Servants don't have shoes, but sons do. And he sends his servants to go get sandals, to put them back on his son's feet. And then he says, we need to celebrate. The father had been hoping for this day, longing for this moment, and his heart is so full that just saying I'm excited is not enough. He says, we all need to celebrate that my son was lost and now he's found. My son was dead and he's alive again. Do you realize that there should have been a funeral that day, but instead there was a feast? That's how excited the father was that his son was coming home. And he restores him with a love like we've never seen before. See, the son is just like us. And he had it all wrong. There was a moment that he thought that he could earn and then also lose his sonship. When he came back, he thought, I've done way too many things to actually be called a son anymore. I don't deserve to be your son. I can't earn it anymore, so I guess I'll just be less than. It's not how it works. It's not what you think. This isn't something that we can earn. This isn't a love that we can do enough for to get in return from God. That's not how it works. It's never been about deserving, but about what was declared. What did the father say? This is my son who was lost and now he's found. Who did he call him? He said, this is my son. It wasn't about the son deserving to be called a son. It was, he was a son because the father declared that he was a son. It's never been about what we can do to earn God's love, but always about what God has done for us. 
You are a son. You are a daughter this morning. That's who you are. You didn't do anything to earn it. You didn't do anything to deserve it. But God still declared it over you. And because he declared it, no one can take it away. So stop taking off your robe and your ring and your sandals. Stop letting situations and circumstances make you think that you can no longer be a son, that you can no longer be a daughter anymore, that you no longer deserve his love, that you've done something so bad that he's not going to find you worthy anymore. Guess what? It's not about you deserving it. It's all about his love declaring who you are. But he wasn't the only one that got it wrong. See, there were two sons. There was an older brother that we don't find until the end of this story. And the older brother had it all wrong too. He thought that his position and his place and everything that was owed to him was all about what he deserved and what he had earned. He struggled when his brother came home to be excited about that. He told the father, that son of yours... He didn't say my brother. He couldn't even say his name. He's yours, not mine. Look what he did. He did all this stuff to waste it. And you're going to welcome him back home. You're going to throw him a party. What have you done for me? I've been faithful. I've been here. I've been doing all of this. I've earned everything that I have. I deserve more. And the father tells him, you've been with me this whole time. And you miss it. It's not what you think. Everything I have is yours. But we need to celebrate because your brother was dead and he's now alive. And we're not going to allow that fact that he was lost and found. He went from hopeless to hopeful. He went from being a servant to a son. The father said that's such a big deal. It doesn't infringe on your fact that you're still my son. He's my son too, but he was dead and now he's alive again. And because of that fact, we need to celebrate what's going on. And then the story ends. It's not wrapped up in a bow. There's not a nice, happy ending. We don't know whether the older son decided to go into the party or not. But I believe Jesus did that on purpose. Will you go into the party or not? Will I go into the party or not? You see, so many times we see ourselves as the son that's coming home. But there are other times that we're the older son that's already at home. And we're a little frustrated that we're not getting the parties, we're not getting the acclaim, we're not getting what we feel like is ours. It's not about us anymore, it's about someone else. And God is simply reminding us that it's okay if we take a few moments and restore them with love. If we remind them who they are, if we declare over them who he sees them as. And that's what I want to challenge you to do. As people come to know Christ, as they walk through these doors, as you pray with them at your work, wherever it may be that they come back home, it's your job to love on them and see them to be restored with love. To wrap your arms around them and welcome them into the family of God, no matter where they've been, no matter what they've done, no matter how they smell, how they look. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is that we see them 
the way that God sees them, that we declare over them just like God declared over us that we're still a son, that we're still a daughter. That's how this works. That's how the family is supposed to work. We're supposed to be just like the father. And I want you to imagine for a moment that person in your life, that one person that you care about the most that doesn't know Jesus. What if today they gave their life to him? What if they lifted their hand, they said a prayer, they called you, they sent you a text message? How would you respond? How many tears would you cry? How loud would your shout be? How high would you jump in the air if they came to know Jesus? The Father is telling us that's how we respond every time. When everyone comes home, it's cause to celebrate. Would you close your eyes with me this morning? Because maybe today you came in here and you're at the end of your rope. You feel like you're in a pit. That nothing seems to be working out for you. Nothing feels right. But maybe today is the day that you look at that rope and you see the knot at the end of it. That Jesus is there with you. Today's the day that you decide to take a step towards him. To walk the long journey back to him. And if you do, he will run to you and meet you and remind you that you are still his son and still his daughter. He has nothing but love for you. He's always had room for you. There is a place for you. You are his. And he's willing to show you that love if you come home. You don't have to clean up for him. He'll take care of all of that. You just have to come home. And maybe that's what you need to do today. So I'm going to lead us all in a prayer. And I'm just going to ask that you would pray this with me. And if you pray this and mean it, your journey home begins taking a step towards Jesus and he will meet you right there and everything can change today. Would you pray this with me and say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins today. I believe you died in my place and I believe you rose again to give me new life. And today, I'll take that life. I want all that you have for me so give me a fresh start. Give me a new mind and a new heart. You can have all of me for the rest of my life. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. Help me to live for you each and every day of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in a couple of seconds, we are going to celebrate. Because I would, I would be willing to, to wager this morning that there are some of us that prayed that prayer and we meant it with everything inside of us. Whether we prayed it today for the first time or we prayed it every day for the last week of our lives, it doesn't matter. What matters is our commitment to God. Do we want to be reconciled with him? And if you prayed that today, we want to celebrate with you. So when I count to three, I just want you to shoot your hand up and we're all going to leap to our feet and begin to sing 
sing and shout because people are coming home. So one, did you select to give your life to Jesus today? Two, he loves you and you'll never be the same. Three, if that was you, lift your hand up this morning. Come on and jump to your feet and let's celebrate this morning. prayers that this message impacted you. Please share your story and partner with us financially at newvisiongrandview.com.